You've heard of BetaShares. You've probably seen the logo on our podcast. You might even be among their 1 million investors. So you can imagine that I'm delighted to say BetaShares is the official ETF partner of the Australian Finance Podcast. With nearly 100 exchange-traded funds, you can go to betashares.com.au and immerse yourself in ETFs and unique insights covering all of the sectors, themes, core and satellite positions you could want. Think cybersecurity through the Hack ETF, robotics and AI with the RBTZ ETF, and uranium with the URNM ETF. The list goes on. To explore the BetaShares ETF range, visit betashares.com.au, read the relevant PDS and TMD on the website, and consider if the fund is right for you. BetaShares Capital Limited is the issuer. Is there a Spotify wrapped for investing? If you want to invest in shares or ETFs, our friends at Perla are more than one step ahead of the curve. On average, people who use Perla invest $1,750 every month. That's what we want to see, proper dollar cost averaging. With automated investing tools making your life simple, Perla investors have well and truly mastered the art of investing small bits lots of times. So if you're ready to start growing your net worth in 2024, follow the link in your Spotify or Apple podcast player right now to discover how you can get started today. Thanks for tuning in to today's podcast. Please remember that all of the information in this podcast episode is limited to general information only. That means the information is not specific to you, your needs, goals, or objectives. So you should seek the advice of a licensed and trusted financial professional before acting on the information. And before you acquire or apply for a financial product, please read the PDS or product disclosure statement, which should be available on the issuer's website. Lastly, please keep in mind that past performance is not indicative of future performance. Welcome back to another episode of the Australian Finance Podcast. And this week, we don't have a special guest. We have Owen as our guest. What? (laughs) A pretty special guest. I feel like this is an insult. I am a long-time listener of this podcast, Kate, and um, I've listened to all three episodes in the series so far. So I feel like it's about time I come on. Now, I've got Owen uh, behind the screen today because he actually... I think a few people got the hints from previous episodes, but purchased a property like a real adult recently. So we are going to dive right into all the things that were involved in the process, what he learned, what he did wrong, why he ripped up his carpet and uh, yeah, how his rabbits are enjoying the new house. So um, yeah, this episode, uh, I'm going to be asking Owen the questions and he's going to be providing his wonderful wisdom uh, on the whole process. So we should probably mention that this is actually, yeah, you're, you said behind the screen, we're actually recording this for our YouTube channel. So if you do want to watch it and you do want to see the the inside of this house, this masterpiece of a work in progress, you can. It's um, recorded via video. Anyway, you're the host, not me. So I'll just get back to being the guest. Wonderful. Well, first question was, what factors were involved in your decision to finally start looking for a house because that certainly surprised me given your affinity for shares. And I even have had a question from one listener on why does Owen hate property so much? So it was, it was a bit of a change. <laughs> interesting. Interesting. I feel like that, is that anonymous? Did you just make that listener up or is it actually a listener? No, real question. I saw Thank you, um, dear listener for that question. So Kate, I don't hate property, but I think the Australian dream quote unquote is not necessarily all it's cracked up to be. 
So I think if I could be a bit nerdy, if you pull apart um, uh, the, I guess the increase in wages, which is a real thing, but if you pull apart say um, interest rates, which have, which have fallen dramatically, um, and if you pull apart a little bit of the um, migration and what have you, I think you'll find that um, property prices probably wouldn't have done anywhere near what they've done so far. So if you go back over the last 30 years, so if you go back 30 years, interest rates were around about 18% for some people. And if you imagine paying 18% on your mortgage today, um, I would probably have a shoebox, literally, rather than an actual big shoebox, an actual shoebox to live in because I wouldn't be able to afford a house um, at 18% interest rates. And so what I think's happened, and the reason why I don't think an investment um, in property is all it's cracked up to be, is simply because I reckon that housing in itself doesn't add as much value to your, your wallet, to your pocket, um, and it doesn't actually add that much value to society. So what I mean by that is, is if you think about it, the, pro the, the house itself, so the physical thing that you associate when you say house, that you know, timber and concrete and whatever, that actually goes backwards in value. But the land is what increases in value. Mm -hmm. So if you think about those two things, you have this massive negative force against your wealth creation. It's really the land that increases in value, which is why, again, I tell people that, should probably try and avoid apartments or that type of thing, or in, especially investing off the plan. Mm. And so those two things combine, but then you've also got a lot of costs involved. You know, there's a lot of cost involved in um, buying and selling, which I'm sure we'll talk about. Um, and then even in, if you just, it's an investment property in costs associated with your time to manage it or get or pay someone to do that. And you do all of that and you combine all this together. And what you're left with is debt to finance something which half of it goes backwards in value. So you use a lot of debt, which for a lot of people for a long time, we haven't known the risks associated with that because interest rates have fallen. And that's been this huge like stimulus for our, for our budgets and made it easier for people to repay their huge loans anytime things have got tough in the economy. And now we're finding that maybe a lot of people can't repay their loans or if they do, it's probably going to be with some assistance from the government. And I don't want to say I told you so, but... I just, I just want people to be realistic because at the same time, you know, property is a very big part of people's lives and it's a really important part. But at the same time, you know, a lot of people are scared of putting $2,000 in shares, but they'd happily have a $500,000 mortgage. Um, and so I'm kind of like, well, you know, I'm obviously trying to fight the good fight for the share market because it has performed the best over the long term. Mm -hmm. But um, it's not that I hate property. I own a property now, so um, <laughs> I'm not completely against it. But what I would say is that, um, it's not an all, you know, it's not all one or the other. You mm -hmm. can do both. And if you're saving for a property, if you're a first home buyer, you can start saving, you know, half of your money for shares, half of your money for your deposit. Um, and for me at the end of the day, this is a long winded rant, Kate. I love being on the show, by the way. Um, this is a long winded rant. The last thing I'd say is that I think of property as more of a lifestyle asset if you're living in it. So obviously the house here, um, this is our property, so we won't pay capital gains tax on it. But um, I think for me, I'd rather put money in shares. If I have the same amount of money to only allocate to one, I'd put it in shares. But we know that that's not necessarily the case. So that's a really crap answer to your question. <laughs> but basically, we were ready to buy a house because um, we, we think of it as a lifestyle asset and our families were looking to build a family. So we need a place, a consistent uh, roof over our heads. Mm, and I think there's often that debate on whether uh, your primary residence should be included in your net worth or not. Mm. And um, yeah, so for you, it's not or it is? 
It probably isn't, to be honest. Like I, when we bought this house, which again, we'll get to in a minute. Um, when we bought this house, I said to Sarah, who's my wife, I said, the one thing that is so important to me is if we are going to put money after this property or into this property, it must be quote unquote investment grade. So it must be an asset that increases in price. And from my ramblings just now, you would have noticed that a big part of that, um, what makes it investment grade property is the land value. Mm. And so that's what we went out and searched for was high quality land. So that if we are putting money into our, you know, our, our personal wealth into a property, we put it into a property that is more than likely going to increase in value. Mm. So when you were making the decision to start preparing to buy and then buying a house, what were some of the sacrifices you had to make um, in order to do that? Well, one thing I can tell you for sure, Kate, is that we actually had to dip into our emergency fund a bit. So Mm -hmm. that's something we've always had cash put aside. Um, I think it's the single most important insurance policy anyone can have is putting aside cash. But we also um, were able to save rapidly. So what we did is we were renting in a pretty nice part of Melbourne, if anyone knows it, is um, Hawthorne in, in, in Melbourne. Not quite as nice as where you live, Kate, but uh, close second. Um, but we, we had to give up our rental there and we moved back in with the in-laws as someone going on 30 years of age. I can tell you that's um, heaps of fun. Um, for me, it was all right for Sarah being directly involved with their parents in COVID. Maybe it wasn't as much fun, but for me, it, um, it was okay, but that's a sacrifice we had to make. Um, we did it. We started saving. We already had some money put aside. We started saving before we moved back in, but then we moved back in for the last four or so months to really supercharge our savings. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, people have often asked me in the past, oh, you know, you know, you're a finance guy, you should be able to afford a property and all this sort of stuff. Well, it's never been about that. It's more so been about like, where's the best place to put my money? Mm-hmm. And um, for us, it was a business and our own stock portfolio and ETFs and all that type of thing. And so we kind of had enough money, but we didn't really have to dip into the stocks. We really just um, didn't put as much into that while we we're saving rapidly to get this deposit up and, up and going. Mm, so you reprioritized. Yeah, that, yeah, I should have just done that one word. I should have just answered that question with reprioritize. No, but that's true. I, we did. And it, you're right. Like effective budgeting is all about sacrifice. It's not about, you know, just a thing on the spreadsheet. It's about what you're prepared to give up. And what we gave up is a bit of autonomy and, and living in a nice part of town to go back and supercharge our savings. Did you have to cut much else out from the budget? Well, this is the wonderful thing about COVID, if we're looking for silver linings, <laughs> is that we didn't have anything else to spend money on. So we, you know, um, we, we were very fortunate that we couldn't go out and, you know, have a burger down at the local burger place or we couldn't go out for after work drinks or anything like that because mm. we simply weren't allowed to. And frankly, we still aren't allowed to, but yep. we could we could save a lot more, right? So we weren't mm. driving the car, we weren't getting on the train, so getting that public fair and we were saving a lot of money. So we were very fortunate to use that to our advantage. Mm, I mean, I'm saving a couple of hundred a month, not having to go into the city every day. It's just, it's amazing. So all these expenses that accompany our day-to-day life that we've suddenly got to get rid of at the moment during COVID. So it's quite fortunate timing for you. Totally. And even our next door neighbor, I was chatting to the other day, he was saying that he, he drives a Holden Commodore and he usually drives about 15 or 20 minutes down to his, um, his work. And he was saying that he saves $500 a month based on that. So for not having mm. to do that anymore. And that's incredible when you think about it, 
the ability to save for something that you're going to do anyway, that is not driving. It's, it's mm. pretty, it's pretty good. So on the journey to buying a house, apart from the episodes we did with Amy, which I'm sure you learned plenty from, cause I, oh, yep. I definitely did. How else did you learn about the house buying process? What people did you talk to websites you looked at? Did you read a book? Well, it's, well, <laughs> it's safe to say Kate that I've, I've read a few finance books in my life mm. and I've also done a little bit of study. Um, just a tad. Just a touch. So I'm <laughs> was quite lucky. But saying that, like even if I, I, I put myself in Sarah's shoes as my wife, she's not a finance person and um, she was very knowledgeable of it too. And I think mm. it was kind of um, a combination of learning from the people around you, but also learning from books, um, you know, some really good books out there. One of the ones that I read a very long time ago, and I'm not saying it's like the best book out there for learning about being a first home buyer is um, it was Richard, uh, it was a, I think it's Richard, Richard O'Malley um, who wrote the book um, about real estate in Australia, Australian real estate. And it was about how you can kind of use the sales process to your advantage. Uh, mm. I'll put the book in the show notes, but basically um, he was talking, I think it's Peter O'Malley. He was talking about how, you know, you can, you can get into a property and the things that you should look for long before you buy. And one of the things that he, he looked at and it kind of stuck with me, even though it's very hard to do these days. One of the things that he told me and, and Amy talked about this is using, um, is buying a property, sorry, that is positively geared. Meaning that it generates cash flow for you and it covers the costs of what that property would be rented out for. So, a lot of people talk about negatively geared properties, which is when you effectively run it at a loss. So then you can take a tax deduction. Um, whereas a positively geared property, in my opinion, is much better because it means that the property is able to be rented, meaning it's valuable to someone mm. at a price that's more than your interest costs or the cost of the loan. And I think that's something that I learned a lot from that book, just kind of the, those basic strategies. But of course there are heaps of others like smashed avocado and mm -hmm. Nicole Haddo. We've had obviously Amy Lenardi on the show. I've interviewed Pete Wargent and read his books. Um, I've interviewed Chris Bates from Wealthful. So there's plenty of other um, great resources out there for people to find, which we can put in the show notes. Mm, so you think the podcast help you? This one? Uh, <laughs> no, it definitely did. We have an advantage, right? We get to, to, to interview great people. Um, and if I, if we weren't interviewing people, Kate, I'd probably be listening to this podcast anyway. So, um, I think we're very fortunate and so are our listeners. Mm. And did you talk to anyone else? Did you talk to a broker or a buyer's agent, um, throughout the journey? So I probably, so Amy said to me when we interviewed her the last time, um, she said, Hey, and if you need any help with your property, let me know. And like, <laughs> Here's me, the finance guy saying, yeah, you should probably consider using a buyer's agent, <laughs> a good one. Um, and there's one right in front of me, but I didn't use Amy because it turned out that we'd already had our property um, lined up. So mm. um, it, I also was perhaps a bit smug in so far as I thought I didn't need anyone, but it turned out we did. We did need the, the guidance of, a, of an expert mortgage broker um, because, and I was reflecting on this before, the thing is our situation financially was atypical. So mm. I run my own business, obviously, and that business is pretty much a startup, um, even though it's quite big now, like in terms of the team and whatever. Um, but my financial situation is probably about as cloudy as you could get. Like, you, there's no, yeah, it's, 
You'd look at that like, It was not vanilla. Yeah, I don't want to lend to that guy. So, um, so, and the way we wanted to structure the property was a bit different too. And so when I think about it, um, having a good mortgage broker on your side and speaking to them well in advance of when you wanted to buy the property, <laughs> we, uh, we put down an offer um, without having building and pest on it because we wanted it so bad which is this one. And uh, we hadn't even got our finances sorted. <laughs> so, so we kind of just, we're just a couple of a cowboy and a cowgirl just going out there just putting bids on properties without actually <laughs> even giving it much thought. But no, we, we were reasonably confident that we could get financing. But now I know that with, for example, some, um, when you go to a bank and you get a mortgage and some of the better banks that are offering like low rates, they, you know, they're offering these specials, if you like, on these mortgages the application time for them can be two months before you even mm. get back from them. So if you're trying to buy a house on 45 days, like we did or 30 days um, settlement, it can be a bit tricky if you've got a two month waiting period just to get mm. an answer from the bank. So um, yeah. yeah, those are some of the experts that we relied on. <laughs> it seemed like you had a few stressful days trying to get everything organized. Well, I think you know this, but at one point with the financing, it was kind of like, okay, either we're spending the next year in Italy and we're going to use our deposit just working from Italy or we're going to buy this house. Mm. So at a point there, you know, we'd received some feedback that because of my financial situation being different, you know, being having a finance business during COVID and um, being a little bit unique in that respect. Like, I think, you know, this game, I think I've said Mm. this in the podcast, I didn't take a wage from the business for like three years or more. And so, um, that doesn't look great when you're applying for a mortgage. Yeah, no, 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 don't worry, I'm good for it. I didn't take it. Didn't take it. Didn't take a, a wage. But don't worry, I'm I'm good. Mm. Trust me, um, it doesn't float very well with the bankers. No. So yeah, yeah. I think I think something we both sort of discovered this year, especially from our guests, is that if you've got a scenario that's not that cookie cutter nine to five normal mm. salary full time job, it's good to speak to people early like a broker um, just because it's a little bit harder um, mm. and for some people a lot harder. I mean, even Nicole said she, um, she was working freelance, but she got a job uh, like just a normal nine to five job for the purpose of having that um, steady income to get the loan because it was just too hard otherwise. Yeah. And you need to plan this months in advance. So it's not like, you know, I could go out <laughs> and get a job uh, tomorrow Um and then get a loan the next day. It does take a little bit of time and probably more time now with how COVID is and, and I guess just property prices in general. So you mm-hmm. do want to plan in advance and you do want to get onto a good mortgage broker early. Um, and also then obviously you've got the buyer's advocates as well. If you're not the type of person that is very strategic in your thinking when it comes to property, I think it's great to have someone on your side because um, real estate agents are they're probably up there with the number one salesmen and women alongside those people that sell yachts in Abu Dhabi and all those kinds of places. <laughs> like they, they are really good at their job. They get you really excited. They get you in a bidding frenzy. We were fortunate and we were able to kind of turn the tables a bit back into our favor um, by offering our, we made our offers to purchase the property at a given price almost immediately when the house went on market and legally they had an obligation to present that offer to the vendor. And we were saying, well, if it's not accepted by this date, we're walking away. Mm-hmm. And so we were able to um, put the, the balance back in our favor. But I think if you're not willing to think strategically and really be a bit shrewd with the property and, and, and what have you, then you need someone who can, can you know, give you that confidence and, and reinforce what uh, you want to do is the right thing to do. 
Mm, and I think because it's such a massive purchase, sometimes it can be really worth paying a few grand for these professionals to help you out. Totally. Yeah. It's like one of those things where you spend, the more you spend, the more you save. <laughs> I feel like that's what my friends say when they're trying to tell me to have a beer. The more you drink, yeah. <laughs> the more you save. <laughs> you could use that to justify many things on. Yeah, you could. But um, I think in this instance, it is true. I think mm. if, if, particularly if you're the person, um, we, you know, if your situation's not, like you said, cookie cutter, I think it's really important to get those experts on their side. I underestimated how important it potentially is. Hmm. Now, most people, when they're trying to buy their first home, they've probably got a whole checklist of things they want. They want a lawn, I don't know, whatever. Mm -hmm. You needed space for your rabbits. Um, you wanted to get out of the city. Um, what Did you have a checklist? And if so, did you have to make any compromises on what you ended up with? Hey, that's really good. I didn't think you were going to ask this question, but uh, great question, Kate. Um, so I, we, t this is weird, right? But get this, what we did is we drew um, little pictures of, on a white piece of paper, we drew little pictures of the, like the four things that were most important to us. And then we kind of gave them a value of how important they were to us because we knew we couldn't have, you know, the one great thing and then none of the other, it kind of had to be a balance. And so we, we, we each sat down and had our goals and we, we wanted things like, so, and this is, this is my checklist. If you think about it, mm -hmm. um, being an investment property. So if you, if you're thinking about a property right now, you can kind of use this as like a, a template or a jumping off point, but um, we wanted to be pretty much walking distance to public transport. And by that, I mean a train. We are about um, all the five meters away from a train, from a bus stop, mm -hmm. but People want trains um, because for people that don't use, like we have one car, for example. So um, even though there's two of us, so we would like to be close enough that we could walk if we wanted to. So we ended up mm -hmm. about now a thousand meters, a kilometer from the train station. Um, we wanted that we wanted to have a flat block, which is in our area is it sounds a lot easier than what it actually is <laughs> to find one of these. So we wanted um, a flat block and we, we, we didn't really care so much for the house, but we did want it to be livable. We came across mm. some places that like, what's that thing where they like huff and puff and then the house falls down. <laughs> like there were most of them that weren't like solid. They wouldn't stand up against that. Uh. And so we wanted something that was livable. Um, and that was obviously important to us because we didn't want to stay where we were for another year in order to rent some, uh, to knock down the walls and do all that. Mm. Um, the other thing that we wanted was that for me personally, this is weird, but it had to have a good internet connection. It yeah. sounds silly, right? But it's actually true. Like I wanted a place where we could like right now do these types of conversations and have a mm. decent internet connection. Um, and of course, so there's a heap of different things in that, but basically um, Amy talked about the difference, like the land to asset ratio and all this type of stuff. Um, basically what we, what we wanted, what I wanted is a flat block on a really good street and the house could be pretty cruddy. So, mm. Um, our neighbors are really great. We've already introduced ourselves to them, but they've pretty much all said, oh, it's a knockdown job, isn't it? And we're like, oh, that's pretty good. It's okay. Um, but that gives you a sense of kind of the, the, the property that we were buying mm -hmm. because you can't build more land. You can always rebuild the house, but you can't build more land. So um, that was important to us. And as for the rabbits, Kate, well, the rabbits are inside at the moment until mm. we build them something but yeah <laughs> that's it so that was our checklist and we couldn't have everything we wanted obviously we couldn't have a five bedroom house so we've got a three bedroom house that we might have to extend in the future we couldn't get a house that was perfect condition nor would we want one because in my opinion a house or a home in particular a home is the expression 
is your own expression of, of, of the definition. So mm. we wanted something that we could make our own, not something that someone else had made for us. And um, that was a really important thing for us. So we went out and found a place that needed some TLC. Mm. And yeah, we've bitten off a bit. So we'll see if it's more than we can chew. Yeah, I think it's, it's a good year if you're ready to do some DIY renovations. Mm-hmm. Yeah, except mm. you can't go to Bunnings in Victoria at the moment, which is... You know, I think you can of, click and collect right now, can't you? You can, you can click and collect. I having a lot of fun doing that. But the thing is, right, I, I felt like, because I didn't have a house for years, I, I always said to myself, the one thing I want to do is to save up some money and go to Bunnings and just buy something. And um, I couldn't do that. I had to do it all online. So, and then I was out of stock. Anyway, um, that's the discussion for next time. <laughs> so after going through this entire process, is there anything that you would have done differently now looking back apart from probably the broker and the finance part that you mentioned? Yeah, I probably would have gone on to them a bit earlier than what I did. Yeah. Just, just to give them a bit of, um, you know, time to, to breathe as well, because it was mm. pretty tight what we, what we were up against. Um, I'd, I'd say that it's important to get really good professionals on your side. So mm-hmm. um, even with things like conveyances, so a conveyancer is someone that helps you manage the settlement. They're the person that you take when you get, when you go and put in an offer in a house or you visit a house and you're really keen on it before you put in an offer, you should get the contract of sale from the real estate agent and you should get in Victoria it's called a section 32, which is not, uh, available in all the other states of Australia, you have to go and get a separate document for that or separate documents in other states. Mm-hmm. But you want to get all of your different documents and take them to your conveyancer because they'll have a glance at it and they'll be able to say, oh, that doesn't sound right. Um, this, you know, you should be careful of this clause in the contract or, or what have you. So I probably would have, um, I probably would have got some people around me to give me their advice on who is a good conveyancer and what have you. Um, we mm. were pretty lucky with how that worked out. The conveyancer that we wanted to go with actually represented the vendor, so the seller of the house, which you can't have because then there's a conflict of interest. They're managing yeah. both the buyer and the seller. So we had to get someone else, but they were pretty good too. So we were pretty fortunate there. Um, I would say to people listening who haven't been through the first home buyer process is definitely do a bit of your homework because mm. you don't want to get um, you don't want to get caught out. You, there, are, there are a few things that you need to know. For example, when it comes time for the contract, um, when do you pay a deposit? Um, how do you apply for the first home owner's grant? Typically the conveyancer does that. Um, how do you, when does the, the actual money get come out of your account for deposit? When do you get, if you have an, a, a refund of money on settlement day, like say that you put in a deposit, which then you get refunded for some reason, when, how does that happen? All of these different things you need, you should probably understand like the logistics of it. And another thing when you're going through the finance process is just keep in mind when the banks are analyzing what you can borrow, they're going to look at not only your savings history and the pattern of that, mm-hmm. but they're going to make sure they want to make sure that you've got enough money in your bank account to cover the stamp duty, if any, and to cover all of the different like conveyances, costs, any legal costs, et cetera. Um, those are all things that the bank will take into account. So it's not just necessarily like there's the ticket price and that's what I have to apply for. You may have to apply for a bit more and the bank will want to know that you can cover the rest. Because mm, it's not just about having that deposit in your bank account. It's all those additional costs associated. And I, that was something I always retained from Nicole's book, The Body Corporate, especially if you're in an apartment or something like that, actually knowing what that is and having money to pay for that. So it's not yeah. a sneaky surprise. If I, To be honest, Kate, I don't think, 
I think it's very unlikely in my lifetime that I'll own something that has body corporate fees attached mm. to it. I don't think I will be interested in buying an apartment or a townhouse or some type of conjoined block where I have to pay body corporate fees because it does add a layer of complexity and fees to your life mm. that um, you don't really want to, uh, I think, get involved in. Like you just don't have to. So, um, it, by the way, body corp is the Victorian name for strata. Um, just so you know. So um, you can offer to inspect the documents um, for a body corp or strata before you actually make an offer. So you can see if there's any debts against the body corporate, which you might be responsible for. Mm. Like some of the things that are just crazy, right, with body corps, this is my understanding of it, is that, you know, let's say you want to put out your bins the day early. There might be a rule in the body corporate that says, um, no, you can't put your bins out until this date. Mm-hmm. Um, so like, it's just stupid little things like that, that you just think, I don't want really anyone to try and tell me that I can't put my bin out a day early. So I want a kind of a house, a freestanding house. It's very simple. Um, you know, you buy it, it's yours kind of thing. Mm. So any last gems of wisdom for our lucky listeners? Yeah. I, I, I just coming back to that question at the start there about me, what have I got against property? I definitely don't hate property. I could see myself and my partner, Sarah, we could probably own property, um, we've probably owned multiple properties for, um, for the next few years. So I would imagine, you know, in the next 10 years, we might have a second property. We might build up the equity in this first one and, and purchase a second one. But, um, I think the thing is, it's a good idea to just consider what is also across the fence. So there, I think a big part of the wealth creation in Australia has come from, um, like the, 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 the cost of debt, getting a loan is actually really cheap now. And, mm. um, that's what's helped a lot of people along. But I think um, if I could summarize, definitely buy an investment grade property. So learn what that means and focus on that. There's a thing on my shirt here, Kate, you can't see it from the camera. Um, (laughs) But basically what it says is don't confuse luck with skill, especially when judging yourself. It's it's from Carl Icahn, a famous hedge fund (laughs) manager. And um, I don't profess to be like an expert in property. So I would say get expert advice. Hmm. And um, we were very fortunate with the way this house turned out and we we landed kind of on our feet with this, but that's not always the case. And the way you can minimize, you know, I guess any unlucky um, outcomes is just to get expert advice. So get it, get us, get expert advice and get it soon. Awesome. Well, I think that about wraps up this special interview episode. What a, you said special, um, very special <laughs> guests, I, I feel. Uh, you know, it's, um, it's an interesting topic, Kate, and obviously we just wanted to have a quick chat about it. But um, have, have you got a property? Uh, are you going to make your first property investment anytime soon? Mm, I don't think so. <laughs> oh, come on. You could. Um, now, what happened to the, 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 the European fund? Surely that can be repurposed. Yeah, Talk about at the moment, it's just like hopefully waiting for maybe 2022 or 2023. Uh, well, it can still be there. Just go and get a, mm. go and get a house. You probably, yeah. <laughs> anyway. Um, just go buy something across the road. <laughs> yeah, why not? Oh, you could afford a Kate big spender. No, um, I, I think um, it's a good topic to have. It's just a bit of a casual conversation for us this week. Just have a bit of fun. Um, we did want to say, and this is Kate's great idea, is that... We're going to start producing workbooks for these episodes. So what we mean by that is like we cover a lot of stuff and we, will, <laughs> we want to help you get on top of your finances in whatever way we can. Mm-hmm. And so we're going to start producing downloads that you can use to, you know, get your finances in order, et cetera, et cetera. And you can 
get a, a workbook for episodes going forward in your Rask Australia account. So you yeah. can get your free account and um, you'll have all of the episode show notes and all that available in your account. Yeah, so it's sort of taking the show notes one step further with episode summaries, our key takeaways, um, all of sort of the key resources so you don't have to try and find them in the future and um, also some questions to reflect on and as well continue your learning after the podcast because just listening to something, any podcast, any book, any audio book is not enough. You actually need to actually think about it further and then see how you can apply it in your own life. So, um, yeah, just we're going to put these together for each episode and hopefully that um, sort of stimulates some conversation with your friends and family and then you can easily send them to other people as well and they might be able to help them. Yeah, and we, we've talked for a long time on this, or I should say I, I've spoken to for a long time on this episode, but basically <laughs> we're trying to take so the, the core three to five points from each episode, mm. put them in this workbook along with some um, like some things that you can use to plan. So if you if you have, you know, the ambition of buying an investment grade property, what are some of the things you can look for? Well, we'll have some prompts in these workbooks that you can fill out yourself and then you can use them as like a checklist for your own buying. And that way, you know, if you ever get stuck on, you know, he's, they said this in this episode ages ago, where is it? You can go to your account and you can find all that. Also, I probably it's probably too early to lift the lid on this, Kate, but we are hoping to create a bit of a community. So hmm. um, a way to get people to engage with each other and share ideas and, and, and what have you, you know, in a respectful and courteous manner uh, online. So we're not sure how that's going to happen yet, but it's probably going to be some sort of community forum style thing with a heap of resources and, and what have you. Hmm. So watch this space. Um, and the last thing that we want, Kate, is we need some help from our listeners this week. Um, and this fortnight, we need help because we have um, Chris Walesby, the CEO of ETF Securities, coming back on to talk about ETFs. So if you have any questions about ETFs, about thematics, about um, the inner workings of an ETF, send them through to us. And we can, we can put them to Chris and see what he says. Yeah, I know. Everyone sends questions about ETFs. So we're, we're getting the expert back on to answer all those questions you have. Mm. So, um, yeah, you can hear it straight from the horse's mouth, which horse being Chris, um, he's very knowledgeable and, um, we're, we're looking forward to having him back on in a few weeks. So please get them into us as always. You can hear from me, um, Owen, uh, at, what is it? At Owen Rask on Twitter at Owen Rask AU on Instagram, not very active, but that's okay. Kate, how can people learn more and find you? Uh, you can find me at how to money AUS on Twitter and Instagram and how to money dot online. Cool. Okay, wonderful. Well, that's a wrap. This is the first home buying journey. A bit more casual this week. Next week, we'll be back with a bit more serious focus and, um, and intent. So thanks for staying with us. And Kate, as always, I shouldn't be saying this because I'm the guest, but thanks for joining me. Thanks for listening. Are you thinking about starting your wealth creating journey, but not sure where to put your hard earned dollars? InvestSmart can help. InvestSmart offers a free quiz that makes it easy to find the right InvestSmart ETF portfolio to help you reach your goals. Just visit investsmart.com.au and hit get started. Answer a few simple questions about your goals and how much you want to invest and you'll get a tailored statement of advice with a portfolio recommendation. You can visit investsmart.com.au for a no obligations free statement of advice. 
This ad is brought to you by InvestSmart Advice, AFSL 334107. For more than a decade, I've been hunting for the best investors and their methods, strategies, and tools for investing. After years in the industry, countless books, a few degrees, and 1,000 podcasts and live shows, I've rolled this accumulated knowledge into something called Rask Invest. If you've ever heard me talk about a core and a satellite, active and passive, true long-term compounding, or you simply want to know exactly how I would invest, now is your chance. Rask Invest is our new investment service, designed for all types of investors who want professional management of their core portfolio at a low cost from a team they trust. Rask Invest helps you automate your wealth creation and passive income. Simply click the link that says Invest with Owen in your podcast player to join one of our live platform walkthroughs or book a call with us. You can also view the Rask Invest PDS and TMD and get invested with me.